Welcome to Born to be Breastfed with your host, Marie Biancuso. Our program aims to help you bust through the breastfeeding myths and ensure you and your baby enjoy the breastfeeding journey. Over the next hour, we'll help you figure out how to overcome the obstacles you might encounter and how to incorporate breastfeeding into your busy life. Now, here is your host, Marie Biancuso. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuso. Thank you so much for joining me today on Born to be Breastfed, where every week we bust the myths and clarify the facts about breastfeeding and beyond. Now, today I have with me my guest, Emily Cunningham. Let me tell you just a little bit about Emily. She is an instructor of maternal and infant health at Baylor University and the Family Life Coordinator at Providence Health Center in Waco, Texas, where she serves as a community and staff educator. Emily is also a certified lactation counselor and a certified childbirth educator. She holds a master's degree of public health, and she is currently a doctoral candidate in the health promotion uh, program at Baylor. Emily, welcome to the show. Thank you, Marie. I'm glad to be here. I know that from time to time we have talked about cue-based feedings, but trust me on this. Emily has much more to say about cue-based feedings than I have said probably in the four years that I've been on the show. <laughs> so, <laughs> And I think you'll find that Emily has a great way of communicating not only to parents, but also to the professionals who are listening as well. I'd just like to mention that Emily had what I'm sure she must have interpreted as a great honor to speak to the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine here recently. And by the way, Emily, kudos to you, because usually those doctors kind of look to other doctors, and they certainly must have thought that you were a really special woman to be talking about this. So we're very fortunate to have you today. Thank you so much. Oh, so it's my let's, pleasure. Let's start by talking about, first of all, what is cue-based feedings? If you were going to give a definition for that, how would you start? It's feeding based on observing cues that the baby is displaying. So uh, a parent or professional can get really well-versed in interpreting a baby's cues. A baby's very clear about, I'm ready to feed, I'm in the mood to feed. And when we respond to those feeding cues, we see that feeding goes uh, better, to put it simply, in a, a number of ways. Yes. Uh, Emily, I before you came on the show, I looked in my own book because I thought, oh, gee, maybe I better figure out what I've said about it. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I noticed that I said here the opposite of restricted feeding is unrestricted feeding, sometimes called on-demand, demand, mm-hmm. baby-led or cue-based feedings. In this text, the term cue-based feeding is used because it reflects the idea of symbiosis. The infant gives cues and the mother responds to those cues. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I like that definition. Okay. Well, I think it's just really important that we know that for, for many years, I know it's been called on-demand. Some people don't like that term, and we'll talk about right. language later. But uh, just so that we make sure that we all start out on the same page talking about what I think you're going to talk about. And uh, besides, that's always good when somebody agrees with me. But anyway, <laughs> uh, 
All right. So tell us, we talk an awful lot about cue-based feedings, cue-based feedings, but why is it so important to do cue-based feedings? It sets the stage for breastfeeding success. I mean, that's just the simplest way to put it in a number of ways. So when, um, think of the mother as kind of like a blank slate in those Mm -hmm. days immediately Mm -hmm. after birth. The body is waiting for her to tell it what to do. Uh, What do you want me to do in terms of milk production? So the woman who is Q-based feeding, she's feeding frequently, uh, she creates more prolactin receptors. And this lays the groundwork for optimal, optimal milk production down the road. And ultimately, I mean, as an easy way to put it is just to think in terms of, well, it's a simpler breastfeeding um, experience in one way. Uh, these babies, they're at low risk of jaundice, that frequent feed, that frequent dose of uh, colostrum as a laxative. Uh, we see less weight loss with these mm. babies. Mm. Um, I think a lot of women think engorgement is a normal part of the breastfeeding experience. And it, it really, in and of itself, it's a pathological experience. And so cue-based feeding, emptying the breast frequently, there's less engorgement. Um, a feeling of fullness, I would say, is normal. But engorgement Absolutely. is, yeah. 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 Uh, so these, I mean, I could go on. These mothers, um, there's less supplementation of their babies. And you know, the end result, you have a longer duration of breastfeeding, less early weaning. Mm-hmm. A couple of comments there, Emily, which yeah. is, uh, if my memory serves me correctly, and I'm usually pretty good with this, I believe that in 1952, 1952, which, Emily, with your very young face is probably before you were even born, but Illingworth did a study where he showed that, in fact, babies were more likely to have a longer duration of breastfeeding if they had what we now call cue-based feedings rather than if they had scheduled feedings. So Mm. in some ways, Emily is giving us maybe not new information so much as new information packaged with more oomph, so to speak, (laughs) (laughs) more oomph. And uh, I, I think that to my knowledge, there are no studies that show the opposite. So I am totally in tune with you. And by the way, uh, folks, if you're listening, uh, I would agree with all of those things that she said. Not that I necessarily have to agree with all of my guests, but it's always good when I do. Decreased uh, jaundice, decreased weight loss, decreased pathologic engorgement. But as Emily pointed out, the physiologic state is we do want the breast certainly to fill up with milk. And I usually just call that breast spilling or breast fullness or something such thing. Uh-huh. Emily, could I'm not sure that everybody who's listening is familiar with prolactin receptors. Can you unpack that for us a little bit, please? Sure. So uh, prolactin is responsible for the production of milk in the breast. Yep. Um, it's not enough just to have the existence of prolactin. Hormones need a place to land, if you will, in order to work. Oh, I like and that. Receptor sites are a place for that prolactin to lock into. Uh, the number of receptor sites varies from woman to woman. And some of that has to do with what her feeding patterns were in these early days after birth. So more prolactin receptors means more milk. Uh, her body is kind of primed to make more milk. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And by the way, I just want to point out what Emily said. I have never worded it that way, but I really like that imagery. 
she's saying that it's not just more prolactin. That's lovely, but the prolactin has to have a place to land. I love that. That's great. <laughs> uh, yeah, because, you know, truly, some people just think, oh, if I just had more hormone, if I had more this or more that. Right. Uh, yeah, but if it doesn't really have a place to go, a place to land, it kind of doesn't make any difference. All right, so help us with this. Okay. What would you, have in the newborn period, and I am talking certainly in the first few days, but up to the first few weeks, as you know, the definition of a newborn is until 28 days, but let's focus especially in those first few days, first week or so, uh, what would you say are the most important visual cues or any other kind of cues that you would name as being recognizable that the parent should always be recognizing. Got it. Yeah. Um, which is funny because if this was a video call, I usually act this out <laughs> in my class. Uh, Welcome to, to the, radio. <laughs> well, much to the disdain of the people in my class. I think I've, I've finally gotten some visual pictures of actual babies rooting rather than me kind of, you know, licking the air all around me. <laughs> No one wants to see that. But uh, yeah, so um, a baby is the tongue mechanism of a licking. The the tongue is sticking out in and out of the mouth. Uh, The baby's turning from side to side looking for a breast. The mouth is open. And perhaps, I mean, you know, I can remember being a, a teenage girl completely not knowing anything about breastfeeding, but holding an infant and being like, why does this baby want to nurse on me? (laughs) You know, but uh so... Uh, the baby's looking for a breast. Um, yeah, mouthing. Uh, you could tr- take your finger and trace the mouth of a baby. Bringing the hands up to the face. So the baby is trying to suck on his hand or um, smelling something familiar. Those are feeding cues. Absolutely. And by the way, I would say for those of you who might not be aware... Emily has talked about the hands up to the face or getting the hands to the midline. Remember that the hands don't necessarily need to clasp together, although if they do, that's fine. But it do, it's not necessarily that overt, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, I liked, uh, I like the part about uh, licking the air. I've usually called it sucking in the air, but it's the same <laughs> thing. Yeah. And uh, yeah, if you've never held a baby, you are right. I noticed early in my career that the baby would suck the air. He would suck on the side of the nurse's uniform. He would suck on the side of the crib. He, basically, babies are so pre-programmed to suck whatever it is once they get mm-hmm. that stimulus and uh, definitely, I would say, yeah, this is real important to look for. Uh, I'm a little bit ahead of myself, but do you think that parents are more likely to notice those things when they are rooming in with their babies? Oh, absolutely. And it's not yeah. just me saying that. That's really clearly established in the literature that exists on this topic. Yeah. Well, interestingly, uh, today, at my office, several of the staff were sitting around a table, and we had some snacks today, and somehow we got to talking about this. I said, oh, yeah, yeah, I got Emily Cunningham uh, that's going to come on the radio show, et cetera, et cetera. And somehow we got to talking about uh, rooming in, and I thought it was really interesting that I did not prompt these women, and nobody in my office is a nurse other than me, uh, and their kids are older now, uh, but th- I thought it was interesting that without prompting them, they told me, I don't know if I really could have figured this out if I hadn't had the baby in the same room with me. Hmm. 
And I thought, oh, well, that's nice. It's always nice when it, I teach people that. I'm sure you teach people that. But it's nice when people just come out with it spontaneously when you're not really fishing for it, certainly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Any others that you can think of that really jump out at you? Well, I just like what you said about the subtleties of it. Mm-hmm. Um, because so often we associate feeding time as crying time or you know, oh, right. for, the, right. for the parent right. who's not trained. And, and really that it does escalate. It starts off very similar. I mean, it's yeah. subtle. So if a baby is, let's say, swaddled, it's just a slight turn of the head. It's very subtle. And you have to almost train not only the parents, but any caregivers to understand, hey, this is what we're looking for when you see the baby even doing these subtle cues. Let's give them to mom because feeding is going to go much better when we get there early. Well, just like you and I, Emily. (laughs) That's the truth. Really? Oh, I should say you and me. Yes, but you know, haven't you ever gone into a restaurant when you are overly hungry and you're so hungry that when you look at the menu, you just can't even concentrate on what you need because all you know is you just want some food. Yes, ask my children. uh, (laughs) The the drive home is like after church. There's never a time I'm more hungry than Sunday afternoons. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And you're just ravenous and you're very focused on some food, but your concentration, I, I also tell parents, remember, that feeding is the baby's job, and no, nobody can do their job well when they're hungry. That's just the way it is. Speaking of job, I have a job, which is to cut you off right now. We need to go to the second uh, segment. We need a little commercial break, and then we'll come right back and talk more with Emily about uh, Q-based feeding. I'm Marie Biancuso. Hold on. We'll be back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Do you need breastfeeding training for your hospital staff? Maybe you need to offer all 15 sessions to meet the baby-friendly requirements. Or perhaps you need just a few sessions. Check out Marie's new course, Best Practices for Breastfeeding Management. It's perfect for improving your exclusive breastfeeding rates and helping staff earn contact hours. You know Marie will focus on the clinical outcomes, not just the training process. Marie's course offers the ultimate in flexibility and convenience. It's online 24-7 so staff can study at their own pace. You can use the course for all of your staff or just your newly hired staff. And Marie offers a tracking report so you can tell who has started or finished. Best of all, staff can print out their own certificate when they finish. Don't waste another minute trying to develop your own course. Trust America's leading breastfeeding educator to provide staff training that works. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894. 703-787-9894. And ask for your bulk discount. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Was your breastfeeding experience stressful or challenging? Did you face an unusual obstacle and go on to meet your goals? 
If so, we'd like to hear from you, and so would other mothers. Email radio at borntobebreastfed.com to see if you can be Marie's next guest. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Born to be Breastfed. I'm Marie Biancuto, your host. I'm here today with Emily Cunningham, who's talking to us about uh, Q-based feedings. And before we dive into that, I'd just like to mention that we had what we called a purge party today at my office, and we found things that we didn't know we had on our shelves. (laughs) So I would like to suggest to you that if you would like to have Uh, a magnet that goes into what Dr. Ann Eglish talked about earlier, which were the times for people to, the the amount of storage that they can do in the refrigerator. We've got it on a very handy-dandy magnet. We can send you one. Please call our office at 703-787-9894. All right, so Emily, this is all well and good. We can all... uh, kind of understand and relate to those kinds of things that you were talking about with the baby licking the air and although you're not used to doing radio you painted for us a very good word picture I think <laughs> we, we could all kind of figure that out but some kids for whatever whatever reasons maybe maybe they have uh Maybe the mother has been medicated during labor. Maybe the baby's had a traumatic birth, whatever, whatever. But, you know, some of those kids really do not have that really overt, like you can't miss it kind of signs. What do you tell parents to look for when they're kind of more subtle? Yes, that is so true. I'd say um, I do some bedside lactation support at um, uh, postpartum unit. And that's probably how I spend majority of my time is <laughs> waking sleepy babies or calming babies who are still reeling from the birth experience. So I do say watch your baby for feeding cues, but there's a little footnote, an asterisk there that says, well, unless it's been three hours, because we want to make sure we don't let that interval grow too long between feedings. This is as much for mother's benefit as it is for babies. So that being said, um, for those sleepy babies, I mean, step one of anything is skin to skin. I mean, absolutely, yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah. I, I, I was all like, like uh, I might interrupt mom and say, "Why don't you go ahead and get skin to skin?" And then let's keep talking. Um, and then I'm uh, step two for me is hand expression. And as soon as we put those little drops of colash on the baby's tongue, you notice it. It's just it may take, it may take five or ten minutes. We need to be patient about this process, but drop by drop. This baby will start rooting, lifting his head, turning towards mom's chest, looking for the breast. Mm-hmm. Um, so sometimes we have to elicit those feeding cues. Mm. Yeah, I yeah. would agree with that. Yeah. You know, I just want to 
stick my nose in here, which is remember that if the baby is not doing some of those, maybe you need to wonder if there is some smell that is bothering him. So I'm thinking, for instance, if mother has perfume on, if mother has deodorant in her underarms, any of those, and I'm sure more, any of those kinds of things can be sort of a turnoff. Mm-hmm. So certainly when you do a little bit of hand expression, and for those of you who missed the show with um, um, Mary Foley, she talked ab- about the uh, importance of the colostrum as well. And so we've got a number of, knowledgeable people here all giving the same message which is this is a way to kind of entice the baby or as Emily just said to elicit uh, that and and I would agree with all of that as well and I would also say uh, Emily do you see this sometimes where parents have got the baby somehow with his little hands hidden sometimes (laughs) you know they want to put on the little middies or yes Worse yet, they have them wrapped up a little, like a little burrito, and I would say you probably get them unwrapped, so uh, right. that takes care of that. But, but people have to remember that sometimes some of those signs are so, so subtle. It might even be just the baby is mildly awake. That might be the only thing that you see. Right, right. It might be very subtle. So, again, yeah. parents need to be taught that, so they can yeah. see it a whole range on the continuum. And I love what you said about the, the little gloves. <laughs> yeah. I try and t- I explain the rationale so it's not just me doing things my way, but just encouraging them and, and talking about the responsiveness of mom's chest, how she's so dependent on those little hands touching yes. her. So yes. the whole process, yes, absolutely. Totally, totally. So Emily, usually when people like you and I talk about Q-based feed, feedings, we're talking about breastfed babies, but... Um, You know, for nearly 40 years, I've been a big proponent of the idea that all babies, breastfed or formula fed, really need to be fed when they give hunger cues. So can you talk to us about formula fed babies and hunger cues? Yes, uh, they should be taught the same set of hunger cues Mm -hmm. as breastfeeding moms. And I think there's this myth or this idea of like, oh, bottle feeding, how hard can that be? Just, you know, (laughs) here's your six pack, here's some nipples, bye. And, And really... I would say it's just as important for formula feeding families because the parents are deciding how much the baby eats. It's not baby led. And so we have to learn how to be really sensitive about how baby's showing cues. Okay, I'm full. Cues of satiety. So that feeling of being over full, that can start in the first year. I think we're just on the cusp of understanding what infant obesity looks like, but um, that it does indeed exist. So. I teach pace uh, bottle feeding and sitting mm, the baby upright, the angle of the bottle. These are all details. And you have to do it uh, you know, hands-on. Um, yes. It's not enough to just give a handout. I bring my little baby and my bottle in. <laughs> well, yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I want to just mention, a parent just not very long ago told me that they thought that paste feeding was equivalent or at least kind of similar to cue-based feeding. And I said, no, 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 no. Paste feeding, for those of you who don't know, paste feeding is with a device. We usually think about it as being with a bottle, although it certainly could be with a cup or a palladi or any of those things. But truth is, um, it is a way of using a device in a way where, uh, Emily, help me with the words here. You're not... uh, 
you're not letting the milk go full force and you're doing some techniques to help to slow that down so that the baby is going a little slower. So yes. um, is, does that kind of... Yeah, and, those- and with the end result of feeding uh, until satiety rather than yes. Yes. overfeeding a, a pre-specified volume. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. So what do you tell parents who are premature? Uh, the, no, the parents are not premature. The baby is premature. <laughs> uh, what do you tell them? Because I... In one breath, I feel like I'm preaching cue-based feedings, and in another breath, I feel like I'm saying, well, but if your baby is premature, you can't really rely on that. So what do you tell parents? Right. Yet, yet, I think they really need to know that. So what? Do you, how do you handle this? Yeah. So first of all, I want to partner with the pediatrician so that they're getting one message, and that's yep. sometimes a difficult. That's another whole topic with cue-based feeding. <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and and so that I can be, you know, echoing the same message of the of the physician, um, but it's really it's kind of what we talked about before of the importance of skin to skin um, and making sure those intervals are not too long, but also making sure that feeding doesn't go on too long, and that's as much for mother's sake as it is for babies you know if we're really attempting feeds trying to elicit those feeding cues getting this baby in the mood but the baby is just simply not responding at yeah. some point uh it's good to cut and run you know and feed <laughs> a different way so we can preserve that interval be- between feeding for for mom's sanity in, in a difficult situation already that's my personal feeling and take on it and it's no, been yes. echoed by some other professionals that i've come across that's about where I'm at because with the premature baby, they're kind of like on their own little track and you've got to, you can't rely on. So, yes, I think they need to be taught, but I think you can rely on that. Uh, Emily, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself here, but when you talk about teaching, and we're going to talk more about teaching professionals, but when you teach anybody, parents, professionals, whoever it is, I know that you think it's important to consider the language that we use. Uh, can you can you say more about that? Yes, this is one of my favorite topics. Oh, go, um, girl! <laughs> <laughs> well, of course. I mean, myself included. With my first child, I was taught to feed every two to three hours, and this idea that babies are timed, just like you and I. You know, I have lunch at noon, dinner at six. This is what life looks like. And it's just not the same paradigm for babies. They're, they're, they're on a liquid diet, easily digestible. So it's normal to have frequent feeds. And for it may, may not to, maybe not to make sense to us as parents. Um, but that that's, that's what normal looks like. And it, I could kind of parallel this over when I talk about infant sleep patterns. That, mm-hmm. that we kind of compare our adult norms to what's normal, what an infant should do. And it's really they have their own set of definitions but my particular favorite and I know that you've heard this many times is you know that baby's using you as a pacifier (laughs) oh geez yes yes oh I hear it so frequently um you know there's so many things about that using language can characterize baby negatively when Mm -hmm. mom and baby are already kind of getting to know each other especially if mom's having a delayed start with that cognitively Mm -hmm. um and then of course it reinforces a myth that babies are capable of manipulation (laughs) and that that there is such a thing as wasted time at the breast. So um, I really like to reinforce a positive outlook on that. 
I, I cannot take credit for this myself, but somebody said to me one time, how about those babies who are using the pacifier for a mother? <laughs> and I thought, oh, right, yeah. Uh, because I think there are babies who have high sucking needs. There are babies who can get up to the breast, get what they want, get done and be done. And you know what? They're probably going to be like that for their whole life. They're just going to do what they got to do and, and as you say, cut and run. And then there are other babies that are going to kind of linger. Haven't you met those people? I mean, <laughs> they're the people who, <laughs> who tend to be a little clingy or whatever the word is. And, and I don't know that that's all bad. But I think that we do need to be very careful with how we package that. Um, certainly, I know that when I give my comprehensive lactation course, that's one of the things I really hammer on is that uh, we sort of think that that babies are like pre-programmed on these time slots and and they're really not. So, mm-hmm. hey, everybody, do not go away. I'm here with Emily Cunningham and we will be right back after this short break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Do you need breastfeeding training for your hospital staff? Maybe you need to offer all 15 sessions to meet the baby-friendly requirements. Or perhaps you need just a few sessions. Check out Marie's new course, Best Practices for Breastfeeding Management. It's perfect for improving your exclusive breastfeeding rates and helping staff earn contact hours. You know Marie will focus on the clinical outcomes, not just the training process. Marie's course offers the ultimate in flexibility and convenience. It's online 24-7 so staff can study at their own pace. You can use the course for all of your staff or just your newly hired staff. And Marie offers a tracking report so you can tell who has started or finished. Best of all, staff can print out their own certificate when they finish. Don't waste another minute trying to develop your own course. Trust America's leading breastfeeding educator to provide staff training that works. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894. 703-787-9894. And ask for your bulk discount. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Was your breastfeeding experience stressful or challenging? Did you face an unusual obstacle and go on to meet your goals? If so, we'd like to hear from you, and so would other mothers. Email radio at borntobebreastfed.com to see if you can be Marie's next guest. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuto. I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed, where every week we bust the myths and clarify the facts about breastfeeding and beyond. Today, I'm here talking with Emily Cunningham. Emily, you and I have just talked a lot about what I guess I would call the person-to-person kinds of issues, but we know that these issues are not just one-on-one, that at least some of the issues related to cue-based feedings are system levels, uh, or system level, I should say. So what do you see as uh, the the barriers to Q? Why isn't everybody jumping on this bandwagon? What are the barriers to Q-based feeding? Yeah, I think, uh, I think like a lot of lactation issues, there's this idea that, well, that's a lactation issue, so we'll leave that mm. to the lactation professionals. Oh, dear. Mm. And really, it should be, like you said, it should be system-wide. It should be the whole unit speaking yeah. the same language. Yeah. Um, we've already talk- touched on the assumptions about formula feeding, that it doesn't require education, um, and we know that that's not true. And, you know, I think there's other assumptions about, well, she's a midwife patient, so she gets, she would be interested. You know, there's, we, we kind of oh, yes. type of, type yes. of patient and think, oh, yes. well, she'd be into that. And so That's what ends true. up happening is the people who are perhaps more likely to practice that way, they're the ones getting the education. Mm-hmm. And then because of assumptions, we figure, well, the 16-year-old mom, she's not going to do that. She's not going to do that. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. And, and what that does is it's another cog in the growing disparities of who is more likely to meet their breastfeeding goals. And that, right. that's happening at the hospital setting. Absolutely. And I'm ashamed to say this, but I've done that, Emily. <laughs> I, I, I've seen the 16-year-old or the 14-year-old or whoever, and I'm like, oh, you know, I'm not going to be able to sell this to her. And I find myself not trying to sell it to her because I'm thinking, oh, she's not going to go for it. And then I some, sometimes will realize, well, whoa, wait a minute. You know, I, I got to present her with that. I probably have to present it in a different way. But, yeah, boy, you know, you're right. I just hadn't really quite thought about the fact that that's, that is a barrier and the one that we do rather unconsciously. Yes, I have uh, to consistently keep myself in check yep, and ask myself. Yep. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. We've uh, we've all done a few things we're not <laughs> proud of, you know. And I'd, I'd also say, um, as we talked about earlier, too, if you're sending the baby to the central nursery, I think it's really hard to be in tune with your baby's cues because you don't see enough of them. You've got a very limited uh, visual, if you will. Right. So, Emily, I know that at your facility in Waco, you took on a cue-based feeding project as a quality improvement project. 
Yes. So I'm all I'm all good with that. It's a great way to connect evidence-based practice with statistics and link it to clinical outcomes and so forth. But anyway, I'm kind of interested to know how there's a, like a gajillion quality improvement projects that we could all be running. <laughs> so how did you decide to address promotion of Q-based feeding as a quality improvement project? Um, probably laziness. <laughs> no, okay. I I am a big believer uh, in public health. You start with low-hanging fruit. And I thought, yeah. you know what? I suspect this is already happening by some staff, but I think we're doing pretty good on it in some areas, perhaps with those midwife patients or, you know. Um, and I was right. So we looked at the data and we're like, okay, this is happening. So a lot of times it's just not getting documented. And uh I felt like it was a winnable idea. It was not controversial. Um, you know how removing pacifiers or uh, yeah, formula, yeah. I don't need to go yeah. into that. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. And, well, everybody can get on board with this. And uh, it just seemed like a great start if we were going to address some of the other 10 steps to successful breastfeeding. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I never really thought about it that way. But like this is, if you're against Q-based feeding, you're against motherhood and apple pie. You know, that's just... <laughs> Right. Well, yeah, I no. have to say we have a hundred percent rooming in too, so right. that it, that gave us a head start. Okay. Okay. So Emily, I know that you're not necessarily an expert in quality improvement, uh, but you've worked in a hospital facility long enough to know that it can be done. So just just help us because most of us are not real super duper expert with that. But can you give us a few simple steps of how if we are in a a professional position, how can we get started on such a project? Yeah. Um, I think t- two things were really key for us. The first okay. is to start tracking it, um, either taking mm-hmm. a small sample, and just track it and track it frequently. So during the course of this project, we I gave updates to staff weekly. And it would just pull a few charts every week and just say, hey, look, here's where we're at. And you could see that line. You always want to see the line on the graph grow, you know, up yeah, the mountain. And yeah. that was, it was, a, so staff were able to see their progress kind of in real time and celebrate yeah. that. And the nice. second thing is I needed to know, uh, I know what I think as a public health educator and, you know, I'm immersed in the literature, but that's kind of useless. I needed to go to the <laughs> staff. I mean, really, but, you know, I don't know yeah. line. Right. So um, sending out surveys uh, where they could give me their perceptions. What are your perceptions of your patients? And I found out, you know, often they view patients as kind of tired or perhaps unobservant. So we had to reconcile how they view patients and then isolate. Okay, well, here's easy ways where we could fix that. Maybe posting some uh, visuals in the hospital room for nurses to use as reference. Um, give tra- give. Uh, training to the nurses because I identified, well, perhaps some of them don't understand the rationale behind Q-based feeding. Just little opportunities like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and did you meet with opposition or with curiosity or how would you characterize that? I think curiosity at first, not, I wouldn't say opposition. Yeah. Um, and I think it was hard to convey to them the importance of teaching the formula feeding families. Um, you know, it just what that wasn't a thought they had considered until mm-hmm. this initiative. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say, again, once they witnessed the momentum and realized, wow, we're, we're going to likely beat our objectives. 
and there was a lot of encouragement. And of course, you got to celebrate these things, even though it was Absolutely. a small win. But you know, we had a little cue-based feeding party. <laughs> That's okay. I, I'm yeah. a big proponent of that. You know, my father used to say, and I don't know if this was my father or if he got it from some other wise man, but he always used to say, "There's nothing that succeeds like success." Yes. If you can feel yourself successful, it kind of propels you forward. And I think we've all learned that. We just don't always necessarily take that to these sorts of, of situations. And, and kudos for you that you did. So how did you get the staff? I'm also a big proponent of the idea that people, uh, you know, the old, how does that go? Telling, selling, participating, and whatever the fourth one is. If you don't get people to participate, it's really hard. So how did you engage staff members in becoming invested in improving the Q-based mm. feedings? Um, well, I asked them about the metro, uh, electronic medical record. What are their thoughts? Uh, was there a place to document it? Was it easy? Did it prompt them to remember? So they had some influence on how we set that up. Okay. And um, their education was in little bite-sized pieces, little two-minute videos. I kind of grabbed from the, the state of Texas offers this wonderful series of 10 steps to successful breastfeeding videos. And I was able to use those and integrate them into a Google form, which kind of serves as a online survey. So it was a really easy way for them to link to it and watch it on their own time, take a little assessment quiz and confirm their compliance. Mm. Um, mm. So I'm a, I'm a believer in bite size increments. Oh, me too. Yeah. yeah, you know, when I was a young nurse, even before I got into some form of staff development, one of the things that I noticed was that somebody would organize this really elaborate thing. It would be an hour long and say, we're going to have an in-service and make everybody come. Ha ha. Well, right. the next thing we know, we've got low staffing, high acuity. And, it, it's, and so this, this very elaborate thing all falls apart. But... Uh, I think that when you can really give it in, as you say, bite-sized pieces, and it doesn't necessarily have to be video, although video is, is ideal, but it, it could if you don't have the resources or whatever, even sometimes just things on uh, like a corkboard or in the in the coffee room or something like that is helpful in the sense that you're not always formalizing it, I guess, maybe is, is the word I'm yeah. looking for. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, uh, I remember we, we took a screenshot of a nurse's charting. She just did it in a clever way or a really efficient way in her notes for this a particular patient. I took a screenshot of it and, of course, de-identified any information. And we laminated and posted it and was like, look how Sally uh, charted the, her Cubase feeding. So it's just, yeah, yeah. little individual yeah. stories. Absolutely. That, that's a great way. Um, what about um, other than video type things, what else would you say with the staff? Um, trying to think. We, uh, so we updated, so it was kind of multi-level. We updated the Good. electronic medical record system. Okay. And once they were documenting it, it was happening at a much higher rate. That was really significant. Um, mm-hmm. We worked on how to teach patients, so using that pictorial representation of the feeding cues in their room. Mm-hmm. Um, we had the online presence, the weekly data update, updates, and um, just reminders and conversations about how it was going with 
what barriers they perceived were happening that were getting in the way of them teaching. Yeah. People. So again, yeah, it was really huge. needed to start with them on, yeah. uh, as the direction of how the training was going. They needed to determine what their, their needs were. I'm sure you don't need me to tell you, but I'll tell the audience. This is this thing that yeah, I learned years ago. If you can't take the barrier away from somebody, you got to make it easy or at least palatable or something. But when it's really just kind of a big nuisance, it's really hard to get people to buy into it. And if you can make it interesting or fun or whatever you know the fact that you're giving them these updates and they feel successful oh man you know i'm totally with you there uh yes so emily you don't need me to tell you what a great job you're doing but trust me you're doing a really great job this is really exciting (laughs) uh so anyway hey everybody don't go away and i will be right back with emily cunningham right after this message Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Do you need breastfeeding training for your hospital staff? Maybe you need to offer all 15 sessions to meet the baby-friendly requirements. Or perhaps you need just a few sessions. Check out Marie's new course, Best Practices for Breastfeeding Management. It's perfect for improving your exclusive breastfeeding rates and helping staff earn contact hours. You know Marie will focus on the clinical outcomes, not just the training process. Marie's course offers the ultimate in flexibility and convenience. It's online 24-7 so staff can study at their own pace. You can use the course for all of your staff or just your newly hired staff. And Marie offers a tracking report so you can tell who has started or finished. Best of all, staff can print out their own certificate when they finish. Don't waste another minute trying to develop your own course. Trust America's leading breastfeeding educator to provide staff training that works. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894. 703-787-9894. And ask for your bulk discount. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. What's the weirdest place I've ever done it? Probably at my niece's high school musical during intermission. I've done it on an airplane. In our minivan while his mother was driving. Hi, Mom. What's the weirdest place I've ever pumped? Probably the car dealership. In the bathroom at my sister's wedding. Finding a good place to pump can be hard. Donating breast milk is easy. No matter where you've pumped, you'd make a good donor to the Mother's Milk Bank at Austin. Learn how your milk can save lives at milkbank.org slash gooddonor. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. 
You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuso with Born to be Breastfed. I'm your host, and I have with me my guest, Emily Cunningham, who's talked to us about Q-based feedings. So, Emily, help us here. Uh, We know the kinds of outcomes you were hoping to see. Did you really see those good outcomes? How long did you work on this project with tracking how these kids were doing? Were they still breastfeeding? Had they vanished into thin air? What happened? So, it was about a six-month project. We identified it last fall and worked on it um, in the spring. Uh, and we were pleased with our objectives. Ultimately, we got to a 90% compliance rate, and that's documented teaching feeding. Wow. Now, I'll confess, we don't have any data as far as, you know, of those parents who's actually practicing it. Um, but we were pleased, and I think uh, one of the great things, well, two things. First, it, it, it kind of set the stage for like, okay, well, we knocked that one down. Let's see. Let's, right. what else could we do? It empowers right, you to right, right. <laughs> embark on the bigger project. But second of all, it is an ongoing uh, quality uh, improvement focus. Uh, so it's, it's uh, not like you achieve this benchmark and you're like, aren't we wonderful? Moving on. You know, you have to revisit it and, and I will continue to bring it up at unit meetings. Say, hey guys, remember when we did so great? <laughs> Reminder: We're still doing it. Let's let's return to our uh, our adherence to cue-based feeding and just kind of checking in and, yeah, and you're freshening up a little bit. Exactly, and you've got to keep yeah. tracking the data in order to be able to do that. Yeah, yeah. So, Emily, uh, I, I want to give you a chance to kind of pull this together at the end. But in the meanwhile, I'm really inter- How did you get interested in this particular topic? Uh, well, I. I was a certified lactation counselor, um, and then I kind of took a detour and went down this public health road, uh, for which I'm in graduate school right now. And so when you consider the importance of hospital practices, that they are such an important determinant of whether a woman meets her breastfeeding goals, looking at the 10 steps of successful breastfeeding is kind of my starting point. And so... um, and I think I'm particularly interested in health disparities, and I think cue-based feeding is so tied to outcomes for formula-feeding families mm-hmm. that I want to make sure that they are not getting ignored with all this emphasis on breastfeeding, that we are supporting them, their informed decision to formula-feed. Mm. And I said informed decision. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's the other thing, is that sometimes we get the impression of oh, well, those lactation folks, they're just here to sell us lactation and breastfeeding, where in fact, what we're really here to do is to sell them evidence-based practices. I hate, that's like such a buzzword, but it's true. I mean, it's true. It really works. This stuff works. And I agree with you that the formula-fed kids sometimes get left in the dust. And I would also agree that uh, sometimes you just got to look at the long haul here and uh boy my hat is really off to you because so often it's 
it's easy to assume we are doing something when in fact, yeah, we're kind of mostly doing it, but kind of not. And when you take on that quality improvement thing, uh, it definitely, and, and I, I do believe that hospital practices, we could sit here and debate whether or not we should have kids born in the hospital at all, but that is truly another show. <laughs> but, the, but, but the truth is that what happens in those first few days is really huge, and we, we got to, like, get it right. So, Emily, if you could, and we are talking to literally tens of thousands of mothers, fathers, parents, grandparents, et cetera, et cetera, uh, if you had the opportunity to just sit down next to each of them, which is kind of what you're doing, how would you summarize the most important points that you've made today about Q-based feedings? Uh, All parents need to be supported with Q-based feeding training or education and encouragement. It's a skill. It needs to be taught. Um, And I would say on a personal level, if I were talking with a parent one-on-one, I would say consider the alternative. You know, you have a baby that's just vigorously going for his hands and (laughs) trying to find a breast. And the idea of like, referring to the clock on the wall and saying, oh, well, it's it's not 1130 yet, you know. It, it's just easier. I like to impress upon parents that it's just easier. Watch your baby and, and yeah. let it be this um, bi-directional communication of when feeding happens. Just pick yeah. up your baby. There's nothing wrong with that. That can't be bad. Right, right. Uh, totally. Anything else? And just... Uh, I have tried a number of uh, quality improvement projects. And of course, you're hearing about the successful one. <laughs> uh, yeah. But yeah, the ones that are successful involve a multi-level approach. So we, you know, we see what's going on with patients, nursing staff, administration, the environment, what it, you know, what's going on with our EMR system. So you really have to think of all the different factors. If you can make small changes in all those, I think it's so effective. Absolutely. Absolutely. As a clinical nurse specialist, I can tell you that the more multi-level, the more multifaceted that I was able to think, the better I was able to do problem solving. And it sounds like you've pretty much come to that same conclusion, maybe different words, but the same idea. You know, you've really got to get it. You've got to get at all these little things because added up, how does that go now? The the sum is equal to more than the <laughs> the total is equal to, to greater than the sum of its parts. Yes. So when you can really look at all of those little, seemingly little things, they really do add up in a much bigger way. Well, you have been very, very enlightening to us today. And certainly, I think we've all had something to learn here. I'd like to thank my guest today, Emily Cunningham. Emily, thank you so much for being oh. with us on Board to be Breastfed. Thank you, Marie. I really enjoyed it. So good. Good. I'm so glad. But as you know, that's all the time we have today because this hour goes very, very fast. And I would like to thank all of you for listening to Born to be Breastfed. If it weren't for you, we would not have an audience. We would not have a show. We wouldn't be here. So thank you so much for that. By all means, be sure to take a look at our website that is borntobebreastfed.com. Now, I got to tell you that we've got more than 200 episodes there. So maybe maybe Q-based feeding is something you've got mastered. Okay, great. Then you can listen to somebody else talk about older babies, whatever. We've got it 
I'm not going to say we've got something for everybody, but I think we've got something for a lot of people. Uh, By all means, take a look at my blog and our Facebook page. If you have a question for Emily or for any of our guests, really, uh, please send us a, a question. We will do our best to answer that. And please remember to like us while you're there. Sometimes we need a little help just to keep on keeping on and those likes are really really helpful for us now if you're a professional and you're looking for continuing education about breastfeeding and lactation remember i'm your source for evidence-based practice and education on the web and sometimes in your city my courses and tons of resources and my blog and much much more are available at my professional website and that's born to, oh, no no it isn't it's it's breastfeedingoutlook.com i'll repeat that it's breastfeedingoutlook.com i'm marie biancuto i promise i'll help you to cut through the myths and clarify the facts about breastfeeding next monday same time same channel in the meanwhile remember your baby was born to be breastfed. Have a great week. Thank you for tuning in this week to Born to be Breastfed. Please join Marie Biancuso next Monday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. This week, do its best for you and your baby. 